testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to every practice of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that you would give us guidance this morning, that we would understand it in its original intent, and that you would use it to change our lives, to become more like you, to be changed into your image. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I hope you had a a blessed Christmas. Hope you enjoyed family and friends. Hope you made some memories that you can cherish. Hope it didn't go too fast that you didn't get to enjoy those memories. For each of these occasions that we have are opportunities for us to cherish, but also to reflect upon all that's given to us. And God has done for us. And we are truly thankful for that. So hopefully you, you made some memories. It's interesting at Christmas time, too, that it does encourage something. Uh, causes and, and events bring about a sense of unity among groups that sometimes aren't there during other times. And we are challenged by that, are we not? We are challenged in our local churches these days by two concepts, unity and loyalty, I think. Uh, I had a, uh, a pastor friend, or one I knew quite well, who we were, I was attending the church down in, in South Carolina while I was in school, uh, helping out that work. And one of the statements that came out of his mouth was, I must have pastored everyone in the Greenville area. And I think he said it as, a, as a, a phrase of pride to some extent, but I saw it as, boy, that is quite sad. 
to say that. That means you've got the revolving church, right? Something upsets me, I'm gone. You know what? Your hair is just not parted right. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And so the sense of unity and loyalty is quite challenging to us. And we need to keep in mind that unity around the event of Jesus Christ is key to each of our lives. We can't be without it. And we must not be without it in order to further the cause of Christ. So do we do have a challenge, do we not? So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, how do we promote unity in the local church? How do we encourage that? Well, as was mentioned, the one thing that we really feel is, is, is one way to encourage unity, and that is through the, the Bible, the, uh, the small groups that we're having folks sign up for. Be encouraged by that. Do that. But how do we promote it within those groups as well? So within the passage that we have, we have to answer a couple of questions when we ask that question. How do we promote unity? We have to have two suppositions in this, right? We promote unity by, first of all, knowing God's word. But is knowing enough? I ask you, is knowing enough? If you say no, what? why not? Why is just knowing God's word not enough? What needs to follow knowledge, right? Obedience. Obedience to God's word is key. Not only knowing it, but practicing those things that God's word has shown to us. Key in promoting unity. Boy, if we all, just think about it. You know, we're coming to the new year, right? While we don't promote all of these things about, hey, make New Year's resolutions. It is a great opportunity to, for us to reflect on, what can I do better? How am I going to take the life that God has given to me and, and promote his cause even more? What am I going to do? So if we together, as an assembly, say, you know what? We are going to covenant to obey and know God's word. Would you be with me on that one? I think you'd say yes in, in your hearts. I am willing to do that. I'm willing to know God's word and obey his word. You know what will happen? Unity. It's great. Things like that come about when we covenant together as a people to know and obey God's word. Simple. Sounds very simple. Am I correct? Hey, you just got to know and obey. Done. Go on. But it's challenging. We have some things in our lives that challenge us in that part. But if we can recognize those things, we can deal with it, right? If you don't know that you have a problem, you can't deal with your problem. So you've got to recognize that you may have a problem. I'm not saying you have one. I know I've got many of them. And you work on them. I'm challenged by this quite a bit. Unity. God and his word are the foundation for unity. Without it, we cannot have true unity. And your companies, you probably have 
vision statements, mission statements. And we all rally around those things. But I can tell you right now, out of a couple of words from our vision statement of our company, I don't know what it is. Why? First of all, it may not be realistic. It may not be attainable. And it may be corrupted by those who are promoting it. But we know that the, the authority and the foundation of God's word can solve that problem for us. So we need to agree on that. If you turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul implores the Ephesian believers in being diligent in one thing. He says in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. Eager to do that. Are you eager to promote unity within the assembly? Or are you eager to promote disunity? Let me ask you a question. If you were to read a newspaper, what gets headlines? The feel-good story? No, it's catastrophe. We want more catastrophes so we can watch the news. We want to see that something has happened here, something has happened there. We love to see those things go on. It's easy. It's part of our sinful nature in thinking about that. That's not where we need to focus. We need to be eager to maintain the unity. There is unity of the spirit. It's our job to maintain that unity in the bond of peace. We could probably have a whole sermon on that, right? The bond of peace. And what is that? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, what's the end goal of unity? In the context of talking about who are those that are gifted to preach the gospel and what the purpose of that is, one of the purposes we're supposed to do this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we could go on. But we are to do that. How often are we to, to promote unity? Well, we have an end, we have an end right? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When are you going to have that? Next week? Maybe it'll take you a month to do it, right? Maybe a year. Once you've read through the Bible in the year, as we're, we're promoting, you'll be done with it, right? The answer is never. Until we actually get to that point where we have eternal bliss with the Savior. So what does that mean for us? We have to be eager to maintain the unity of the faith. So we all have a job to do this morning. And we need to work hard at doing it. So that's our challenge for us with the end goal and the result of that. So how do we do that? Let's go into our passage in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. What are some of the characteristics of unity? And again, you're going to be challenged this morning. 
I'm challenged with each one of them. If you're not challenged, then I'm going to have to put a mirror to your mouth and see if there's any fog going on that mirror. Heard that, right? The fog, it's called the fog on the mirror test that tells whether a person's alive or not. We used to talk about that in, 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 in my, my work with sometimes you just need to get people to a job site, right? And we just did the fog and the mirror test. If you can breathe, you can do the job. And you move on. But we should be challenged by this, correct? Now, again, let's go back to the, the, the comment about promoting unity. And that is one of the foundational, one of the key points of our being able to promote unity is that we are believers. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We can talk about some of these things. We can go through all of the characteristics of, of promoting unity in Ephesians chapter 4. But if we don't have a common bond of Christ, we're going to be have competing and conflicting desires, goals, ambitions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So in order for us to promote unity within the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be believers. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why we don't have those who don't, aren't of the same faith as us guiding and directing church affairs. Just will not work. It won't work. Great ideas. Are, there, are, there are many brilliant people who don't know Christ the Savior. But their brilliance does not help us in promoting unity within the assembly. So back in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, let's go through some of these things. We have to recognize that we have to have a regenerated heart. That is the first and key uh, driver for us to start promoting unity within our assembly, to be saved. And does that not, when we're a church body and we are saved and we have that common bond, does that not promote that unity? When, when, when someone is hurting or someone needs something, we gather around together in one common bond, recognizing what God has called us to do to encourage that behavior. It's a blessing. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds. So the, the idea here is don't walk as the Gentiles. And the Gentiles we're talking about as an unregenerate person, right? We talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The one who is not spiritual, the natural man. We must not, no longer walk as those folks walk. Why? Because how do they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. Well, what does that mean? Well, their minds... Mind fails to produce the desired result or it never succeeds. Again, spirit, we, we have a spiritual goal, right? And they are unspiritual, so the, the minds will be futile. The unregenerate mind cannot truly experience love, joy, or happiness in the true sense of what love, joy, or happiness is. We don't want to, we don't want to respond that way because it is futile. 
Continue on. They are darkened in their understanding. Spiritual darkness, and it's full of ignorance and immorality. Just look at our society today. Does it promote knowledge and morality as defined by God? What happened in Noah's days? What was God's cause for the flood? Tell me. Sin, but specifically, what, what does the word say? They did what was right in their own eyes. When the world starts, this is, this is when you can tell we're getting close to the end. Is not the world getting to that point where they are saying, I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. I don't care. There's, there's, no, there's no absolute truth. I had a professor said that one time. I said, so I'm really not here, right? And the A that you didn't give me is really an A, right? If everything's right in my own eyes, hey, I believe my paper's an A. I don't care what you say. You better put an A on there because it's not absolute truth. You change it in that record. If everybody does what's right in their own eyes, we have chaos. We have chaos. We have to have a foundational something that we can grasp on, that everybody can rally around and say, this is the standard. I will live by this. I will do this. And then we will have unity. Correct? Darkened understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Life apart from God is spiritual separation. It's not being controlled by the Spirit. We will get to that, Galatians chapter 5. It's not controlled by the Spirit. The old man is not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us with the unity. There's ignorance in there. There's want or lack of knowledge. Again, this is spiritual ignorance. Like I said, there are many smart people out there, a lot smarter than me, a lot smarter. But from a, from a standpoint of spiritual knowledge, that's, that's a different game. Different, whole different game. It's a hard heart that they have. And it's hardened and paralyzed to the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They want nothing to do with it. Why? Because then they have to be responsible and accountable to their actions. That's why absolute truth and not believing it is so great to them. Because now they can do whatever they want in their own eyes with no supposed consequences. But I'm here to tell you, there are consequences. One day, they will have to answer. We will all have to answer to our actions and who we are. They have become callous, verse 19, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Do you see? Can you relate to what's going on today? Can you see what's happening? We are not to do those things. Those will not promote unity here. It will not do it. 
We're ca they're calloused. The former life is a life of callousness, apart from feeling any pain for the sin that we commit. No pain. Given over to sensuality, there's no moral restraint whatsoever. Do you see that in our society today? There is no moral restraint. Everything is open and fair game when it comes to sexual sins these days. It is, it is just rampant. And it doesn't matter. All right, that's the negative side, right? And it's interesting. What, what is the transition from the former life to the new life? What does Paul say here? He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. If you are practicing those things that were just contained, I'm talking about us. If we are practicing those things that contained, you did not learn those from this church. I can tell you that much. You did not learn those things. It's almost like, you know how your kids or some people that you've, you're training and you say, whoa, I didn't teach you to do that. Where did that come from? I didn't tell you. You know better than that. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, wait a second. That's not the way you learn Christ. That's not how you live. That's not how unity comes within the assembly of God. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I think Paul here is establishing, oh, wait a second, there may be some people hearing this for the first time. And let me tell you, you may have never heard about this, but let me tell you, this is the truth in Jesus. Simple as that. This is truth, absolute truth. You can count on it. So what does he go on to say? So we start out with a new life that goes on. So assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Did you hear that? Don't go back to your old self. It is corrupt. It's corrupt. There's nothing good about it. It's corrupt. Through deceitful desires. It's funny how you put the desires in there. It's a clarification. Are desires bad? The answer is no. Deceitful desires are bad. But desires in themselves to serve God are quite good. What are your desires? It's a challenge for us. What are yours? So what does he say in 23 through 24 about this new life? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, it is always interesting you know how we have the illustration of heart knowledge and head knowledge? Well, I want to remind you that when we talk about heart knowledge and we point to here, is your heart of hearts really here pumping? The answer is no. It's all up here. Your mind and where your spirit is, it's all up there. So when you point to here, you're talking to a physical anatomy. Yes. What is, when someone is legally pronounced dead... How do they pronounce it? That the heart has stopped? No, there's no more brain waves going on. 
Am I correct? If I've, if I've said something different, but that's from what I hear. That's how they pronounce your debt. Keep that in mind. It's your heart that's up here. It's the same thing as talking about your head. I'm not, again, not talking about that physical pumping thing. So we've got to have renewed minds, the spirit of mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have a new mind, right? A new set of standards, a new set of truth that says, I will rely upon the foundations of God's word to dictate how I will act. You do know that God's word says that everything within his word pertains to life and godliness. So every question we have in life has an answer. Not specifically, but how do we respond to anything that goes on in life? It's there. Do you believe that? Or do you not? Because if you don't, then you will use external resources to help you make decisions. And now you do not have the word of God to help you with the decision-making process. Now what? It's, it's some, some person's opinion. Don't want to uh, put myself in that place. New self. And that new self was created in the likeness of God. We now become a pattern or an image of Jesus Christ. And this is his word. And that image means that we need to obey his word and know his word. And there's true righteousness that talks about here. So we are in the likeness of God in true righteousness, which talks about how we respond outwardly to other people. Do we respond and deal with people in righteousness or do we not? So that's how we treat our fellow man. And then finally it says, and holiness that's how do we reflect God? Do we reflect God in our lives? Can someone look at your life and say, you know what, that is a person who reflects God by your actions, what you say, and what you do. That's what it's talking about here. We're in the likeness of God and how we treat people and how we reflect our Savior. That's the new life we have. Continuing on, what else? are things that help us promote unity. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Truthful speech talks about even. So when we talk about truthful speaking, it is against exaggerations and empty promises. That's not God's word. It says, let your yea be yea and your nay be yea, nay. If you're going to say something, follow through with it. Don't just do it for the sake. You know what? And I, and I fall in the trap too. What is the most common empty promise I think out there for believers? I'm praying for you. How are you really praying for them? If you aren't or you don't plan on it, don't say it. But I pray it's a conviction for you that if you do say it, that you're doing it. Boy, and how do we promote unity? Just think about that thought for now, about praying for one another. You know, if you, if you have, you know, the, the, once a year, you get kind of the directory of all the people in the church, you go down the list and think about who's out there. You say, you know what? I don't know about that person very well, so it's going to be hard for me to pray for. Well, let me get to know them a little bit. Now I can pray for them with knowledge. Boy, that would really promote some unity that goes on there. I know it takes you sometimes out of your comfort zone, I like to meet people I don't know very well. I like to keep the people who I know so well. 
But that is a big help. What does it also say? However, truth must be, so when we talk about truthful speech, truth must be spoken in love. It's like when someone says to you, I'm going to tell you the truth, and it's going to hurt. Get ready. It's going to hurt. It's going to be some stinging. It's going to hurt you. But don't forget, you know, not always saying the truth. Not always speaking the truth. I'm not saying speaking a lie, but just speaking it verbally. It's always the best thing to do. Sometimes it's just praying for it. Or speaking it in love. If you're going to say something, do the test. <laughs> Am I saying it in love? If I'm not saying in love, let me just be very careful in what I say. If you go back to, actually just look up, back up in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I think this is a concept of speaking the truth and love that's challenging for, for younger folks. Yes, it's challenging for older folks, don't get me wrong. But, you know, very, very black and white. I'm just going to say it. You know what? Your shirt looks terrible. That tie does not match. Or whatever it may be. I will not go on to the women's side because that's very dangerous territory. I will not do that. But you know what I'm saying, right? Let's just be careful how we speak the truth. Speak it in love. But we need to have truthful speech. You know, and, and when someone is challenged and someone is sinning, yes, you may say, well, I can't say it to them, right? Well, if you say it in love with someone who is sinning against the Lord, that is a right thing to do. And we have a hard time. We do have a hard time doing that, right? We don't want to confront people with their sin because it might get them to confront us about our sin. Well, let's be, let's be mindful of our sin and get it right so that we can deal with others and help them out. That's helping out. It's unity. It's encouraging. Let's do that. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So we need to have sinless anger, folks. So is it saying here that we don't, we shouldn't be angry? It says be angry and do not sin. So it says do not be angry because you will sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger. We, we, we have righteous anger over abortion, do we not? It is killing a human being with no remorse. I'm here to tell you it is sin, it is wrong. But for me to go and bomb an abortion clinic is not right. It's not right to do that. To go harm someone physically because they are sinning is not right. And these are the folks that give the fundam you know, those so-called right-wing fundamentals a name that is not something that is promoted in Scripture. And I will be angry with those folks, but not sin. We must not do that. We cannot. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. <laughs> 
they talk about the haves and the have-nots, right? Those who have and those who have-nots, have-not. But what does it say here, the purpose for our work? Purpose for our work is so that we can meet others' needs. How did that go this Christmas? <laughs> so we are to work honestly as a body of Christ. Scripturally here, we are to see those people in need and to help them out. Now, I applaud each one of you here who are faithfully giving to the fellowship fund every month. It's a way. Some people don't want to know, want to let everybody know they have a need. So we use that for that very purpose. But there may be other things that needs are out there that you can meet, that you can do. So our goal in working is to help one another within the assembly here. It's not to get toys, toys of boats and cars and motorcycles and all those things. Those are boy toys things we like to do, that's not, it's not what we're talking about here. It's not the goal of our life. Work must not consume us. But at the same moment, work is a tool for us to promote unity within the assembly here. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. For those of you who have, have brought up young children, what do you say to them? Sweet words. Sweet words. Let's, let's do sweet words, okay, to one another. You may be doing that to your kids already, and you feel like you're saying it till you're blue in the faith. Well, don't give up. Don't give up. That is a biblical thing to do. Sweet words. God's goal is the words that are helpful, constructive, encouraging, instructive, and uplifting. Some people will say then, oh, I'm just speaking the truth. In love. But forget that part. Speaking the truth, well, then love helps you with the sweet words, right? It helps you with that factor. Turn to Proverbs chapter 15. A couple of passages there. Proverbs 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. There are people who have the gift of sweet words. Most of them, I believe, are women. People have that gift of sweet words. They know the right word to say at the right time. I wish I had that more. It is so needed. It is so needed to make sure we mix our words with sweetness. Not hiding the truth. I'm not saying that. If, you've, if you think I'm saying that, you missed the other point about speaking the truth. But saying it in the right way. Another familiar one you should know, Proverbs 25, verse 11. 
A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, I, sometimes I think we, we may interpret this incorrectly of what it's talking about. This is actually talking about jewelry. So those of you who enjoy jewelry or not, when you see something, that, the, the, the amazingness of how they've created, the, the, and this time it's talking about you know, creating the picture of an apple and setting it in, in, in silver. And how you see some people who create jewelry and the amazing qualities of putting that stuff together are stunning. And that's what it's talking about here. When you say a word at the right time and the right words, it is an amazing picture that goes on. And let's always be mindful of that. Too often today, it's I'm just going to tell you the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Again, that may be the right occasion for someone who that's the only way they'll listen to it. I don't know. But pray that God helps you understand the occasion. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what else promotes unity? Clean relationships, folks. Clean relationships. If someone has ought against you or you have ought against somebody else, you are to go to them and get it taken care of. Bad blood or bad relationships among church members is, is like cancer. It festers and it grows. And it, if you're not careful, it does not get any better and will cause problems. Don't do that. Right before God and right before man. Those things are key to promoting unity. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's amazing. There's a lot of words here that talks about type of speech that we have. So we are in our in our. We know that what scripture talks about, what is inside the heart of a man, will come out. So in order for the right things to come out of us, we have to have a changed life. What are some of these words? So the goal for us is an absence of bitterness, which is talked about here, which is resentment. Do you resent someone here today? Get it right. It's supposed to be absent from your life. We have wrath, which is wild rage. So all of a sudden you just, you know, it, it's it, you just lash out and you get very angry. Not supposed to be part of the Christian walk. Then it talks about anger. Some people are those who just keep things inside and all of a sudden it just comes out and you're like, where in the world did that come from? But they, they just bottle it inside, all of a sudden, bang, it just comes right out. Boiling up inside until you hit the boiling point. And you say that right time, I've just hit the boiling point. Not an excuse. Not an excuse to do that. It's supposed to be absent from our lives. Clamor, which means a loss of self-control. Do you have self-control in your life? Can you not do something that is not good for you? 
slander, which is defamation, saying something about somebody that will hurt their, who they truly are. And then you have the word malice, which I think is great because it actually says, all right, if there's nothing else, if I didn't miss anything, if I missed something in all those other words, this covers the rest of those things. The malice here just is a general term for evil. These things ought not to be in our lives. Away, gone, not part of it. And then finally in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are to be kind and compassionate and have a forgiving spirit. The goal for us to promote unity is a heart filled with grace for others. Do you extend the same amount of grace to others that God gave to you? So that the first thing someone says, let me tell you about so-and-so. Oops, do you hold your ears or do you perk them up? Because <laughs> you want to hear what's going on there. It's so often that you hear, well, let me tell you. Well, you probably have just one side of the story. But also let's exercise grace from that matter. As God extends grace to us each and every day. I want to I finish up with, with uh, Galatians chapter 5. With the fruit of the Spirit. I want to just talk through those things and just a couple of ideas. I want to give you, again, the key meanings to the words within the fruit of the Spirit. Because the idea for us is if we can exercise these things through the fruit of the Spirit, promote unity will be an outcropping, will be a result of our simply, as I mentioned, knowing and obeying God's word. I know it sounds trivial because it's so simple, but yet it is that simple. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 say, But the fruit of the Spirit, or the result, it's originated from the Spirit, and what comes out of the Spirit are these things. First one is love. It's a respect, a devotion, and affection that leads to willing self-sacrificial service. Read that again. It's respect or devotion and affection that leads to willing self-sacrificial service. When we don't focus on ourselves, unity becomes much simpler and much easier to accomplish. We are to have joy. Joy is happiness based on, and I love this, unchanging divine promises. We can have joy. Why? Because God is not a fickle God. We know how he will respond and act to situations. And the promises we can hold on to. Because we know God doesn't change. Happiness based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. Then we have peace, the inner calm that results from confidence in one's saving relationship with Christ. Do you have confidence in your salvation? 
Only that will bring you true peace. Then we have patience. Patience, the ability to endure injuries afflicted by others and the willingness to accept irritating or painful situations. Boy, say patience is just, I, I take an hour to make the decision before rather than five minutes to make that decision. No, patience is when you are being challenged. That's when patience happens. The ability to endure injuries inflicted by others doesn't have to be outside. Most of the injuries we have are internal injuries, spiritual injuries that we love to give each other. Oftentimes, guilty of that as well. Endure injuries inflicted by others and the willingness to accept irritating or painful situations. Again, think about it. The, the positive side of all this is when we exercise these things, boy, you just, you just can't not be around other believers. It is just the greatest thing in the world, right? Do you love coming to church every Sunday? Do you love trying to, to, to meet with other believers during the week? Ah, it, it, it's the greatest thing in the world. You can't have a lot of best friends, right? It's too exhausting, I'm sorry. It's a lot of work. But being around believers and, and, and confiding in those when you're doing it right is just, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's great. Peace is there and strength is there. It's, it's great. Kindness, we're supposed to have kindness for one another. Tender concerns to others reflected in desire to treat others gently just as the Lord treats all believers gently yeah father sometimes you have to you have to to exercise discipline but our our goal is to, is to have that kindness that's there goodness moral and spiritual excellence manifested in active kindness so goodness is who we are inside that naturally comes out. Who we are inside. Faithfulness, loyalty and trustworthiness, gentleness or meekness in some translations, which is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire. Let me read that again. While having no desire for revenge or retribution. Does it not say that God is the avenger. He will repay. We are supposed to be gentle in that way. And finally, self-control. Restraining passions and appetites. And again, there's a submissive quality in that, right? You're restraining your desires, you know, all about me type of attitude, and restraining those things for others in the cause of Christ. I know, I know we know this. I know we're convinced. We should be convinced that if we exercise those things, and then we will have unity. God hates divisions. He wrote a whole book, a letter from Paul, dealing with divisions. God hates selfishness. And, and just to, to, to close out in a verse, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul presents the problem statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
This is what he wrote the book about. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, is he saying in whatever cause it may be? No. Let's go back to verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So these characteristics that promote the unity are God's grace working in us, verse 4. Verse 4 also, that, you, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and, and all knowledge. So God has enriched our, your speech and your, your knowledge for him. Even as the testament about Christ was confirmed among you, you are guaranteed and you have full assurance of your salvation. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're practicing our spiritual gifts, waiting together for the Lord to return. That's an event that can bring about unity as well. Exercise your spiritual gifts and let's wait for the Lord to return. What a great mission statement or vision for us to have. Exercise our spiritual gift, which promotes unity, and wait for the Lord to return. Great things to think about. So, you know, now what are those implications to us, right? I, you know, I, I can try to give you applications, but I, I don't know where you are spiritually right now. You know. But what are the implications? The implications are you're supposed to promote unity. And if you're not promoting unity, then you've got to change. If you are promoting, keep doing it, right? You always ask yourself three questions in this, right? What am I going to stop doing? What am I going to start doing? What am I going to continue doing? Again, it'd be great. I, I, I like to do this and in, in thinking about you know, who I am and where I am. There's things I got to just keep doing, things I got to stop doing, get those confessed and get those right. And the things I got to start doing, I'm just not doing it. I need to, I need to do that. So what, how are you going to covenant within your own selves of what you're going to do? And that's our challenge today. That's the implications. What are you going to do to promote unity? If you're not, what are you going to do? What are you going to change? If you are, keep doing it. Keep encouraging other people to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we, we're so thankful for the, the work that you've given us here and the love we have for you and the desire to bring about the cause of Christ. May we continue to be a unified body, one that pleases you, one that exercises our spiritual gifts, ministering to one another, looking for you to return, to take us from this earth so we can be forever with you in eternity. We look forward to that when our place in heaven with you if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, we pray that you'd reach in their hearts today and that they would accept you as personal Savior, recognizing who they are before you. Keep us safe on the roads today. Help us to reflect upon these things. Help us have a desire to please you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.